Good afternoon, everyone. We are very, very grateful. You know, even when I'm by myself, I always speak as if my family is with me, and I say we. So when I say we, I'm speaking on behalf of my family and I. We are grateful for everyone being here. We believe that the Lord is going to say something very special to us. This is a message that really needs to be understood. There's a lot of naysaying about country living, and it shouldn't be because it is like literally God sent a blessing to his people. And I guess because of fears and misunderstandings and maybe even some individuals who took fanatical positions, um, this message that was designed to be very beautiful has now become very ugly. And there are a lot of people who fight against this message, but it ought not be. And my hope and my prayer is just that in the few moments that we have, that we can get at least a glimpse of the beauty of this great call that God has made to us as his people. So what we're going to do is we're going to first start with a word of prayer. And then after we pray, we will immediately go into our presentation. So if you're able to, I certainly welcome you to kneel with me as we pray and let us go before the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity to come together and to hear a very timely message, Lord. We know that this is perhaps one of the reasons, amongst others, why we see we are such an unprepared people. And so, Lord, we pray that you will please speak to our hearts in a very marked manner and that you will bless us as we seek to understand this great call that you have made upon all of our hearts, which is the call to country living. And Lord, I pray that a great blessing will take place in all of our hearts as we investigate this topic. Speak to us, open our eyes, and may you send your Holy Spirit and may he come and be our teacher, we pray, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first thing I'd like to do is I want to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 3. In Acts, the third chapter, we're going to find that God uh, made something very plain to our hearts as it relates to his desire of what he wants to accomplish in us and through us for his glory. Now, when we look at this, I want you to keep in mind that Acts chapter 3, it, it presents a very powerful principle as it relates to the finishing of the work. Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Amen? Now, because Christ is in that most holy place, we know that he's not there just to simply forgive sins. He's not there just to simply cover sins, but he wants to do something. He wants to do what with sin? He wants to blot it out. Now, I want you to look at the step-by-step -step process of how God shows us how sins get blotted out. It says in the book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, notice what the Bible says. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your what? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until a certain time. What's that time called? The times of restitution of all things. The Bible makes it very clear that the step-by-step -step process to victory over sin, the step-by-step -step process wherein Jesus is able to blot out our sins, the Bible says the first thing that has to happen is true repentance. Then after true repentance is true conversion. And it is through these two experiences that our sins may be blotted out, and then ultimately Jesus will be able to come, and it says that the times of restitution shall take place. In other words, all things shall be restored. Now my question is, restored back to what? Okay, so we, God wants to restore things back to the beginning, right? Amen. So that means that one of the things that God wants to do. Now, can we have Eden now before we look forward to this Eden soon to come? 
Well, when you read the book Education, page 250, it says that when God gave the family and when he gave the Sabbath to the family, God says that the Sabbath and the family together was supposed to be an experience, as it were, Eden on earth. So do you know that every Sabbath, do you know yesterday you were supposed to experience Eden? Yesterday, I was supposed to experience Eden. And that's why one of the great questions you want to ask yourself is, does the Sabbath seem like it was in the times of the Garden of Eden? And you'll find that until we enter in that experience, you'll never die for the Sabbath. And you certainly won't give up your job or anything else for it. And God wants us to understand that in the times of restitution, in the restoring of all things, he wants to bring things back to the original course before sin ever touched this earth. And there were two things that were there in existence before sin, the Sabbath and the family. And they both existed in a wonderful place called Eden. Now, Eden, was it a city home or was it a country home? Amen. Eden was a country home. Eden was a place where there was beauty surrounding all the wonderful things of nature. There was no smog. There was no poison in the air. There was none of these things. When God made Eden, he knew that this was the environment that was most conducive for Adam and Eve in their growth processes. Adam and Eve were made instant adults, but they still had to develop character. And in them having to develop character, God put them in the best area that this would take place. And that was none other than the Garden of Eden, a little country home, if you would. God wants to restore all things, brothers and sisters. And the things that he wants to restore, he says, listen, there is a way that we can experience it even before the reality. The same way that we're looking forward to heaven, Adventist home tells us that we can still have a little what on earth now? Heaven on earth now. The same way we're looking forward to Eden made new, God says that every Sabbath when the family gets together, that should be a what now? Eden. So therefore, God says that even though I have the great uh, highest level of reality in preservation for my people, he says they can still get a snapshot of it even now. And the same way in the earth made new that we're all going to have ourselves some nice properties. You know, the Bible talks about how we're all going to have properties. We're going to build houses. There'll be no lazy people there. We're going to be building houses. We're going to be surrounded by the wonderful scenes and creations and all the things of God. God says, I want you to get a snapshot of that now. Now, go to the book of Mark, the 13th chapter with me. And I want you to see something. In Mark, the 13th chapter, we find that Jesus was making aware to our hearts that there was going to be all sorts of, quote unquote, last day events. And in these last day events, we are told that several things were going to take place. Jesus pointed them out, and he said something in verse 14 that we would do well to consider. Mark 13 and verse 14. The Bible says, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, and then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his, his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days and pray that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time neither shall be. Jesus was pointing out that an abomination of desolation was going to be coming. And at that time... He gave several instructions of what was going to be taking place. Now, one of the problems that many individuals have when we study this topic of country living is many individuals think 
that because of the fact that the abomination of desolation, as we would understand it to also play a role into the issue of the Sunday law crisis that would soon come amongst this world and certainly affect God's people, there are a lot of people who say that I don't need to try to get out of the city until when? The Sunday law. Now, brothers and sisters, we would do well to consider the whole of Scripture and the whole of, sp of the spirit of prophecy. If we were to just simply approach it just from a thinking standpoint, how in the world are you and I going to acquire property when a law is passed on a federal national level that prohibits you to buy or sell? It, it, I mean, is that logical? No, that's not logical at all. It makes no sense to say, I'm going to wait for a crisis to come, and then when the crisis comes, that's when I'm going to go ahead and call a realtor and tell them to start looking for 8, 10, 20, 30 acres and go ahead and find it for me, and then I'm going to try to work out a deal so I can purchase it cash or use credit or whatever else. Does it make any sense? No, it does not, brothers and sisters. So we find that if we were to just simply approach this with some simple spiritual logic, we would see it makes no sense to wait until a Sunday law crisis would come and then try to go ahead and get out of the city into the country. That is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. So God wants us to understand that right now we are living in a time where we should be already preparing for the final crisis. We should be dealing with this thing because it's a very real crisis. Jesus has spelled out to us there's going to be some tremendous trials that God's people are going to go through. And brothers and sisters, if we're not prepared for it, then guess what? Those who are unprepared for the final crisis will be unprepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those who are prepared for the final crisis are those who will be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, there are lots of questions that people ask as it relates to country living and its relevance. When should we do it? And the list goes on and on and on. So therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of these slides. Now, I, I truly wish we could meticulously and in a very slow pattern cover this topic in whole, but it would go well beyond the time that I'm permitted in relation to these presentations. So I'm going to give you some snapshots. There are going to be some means and some resources that you can get more information, but I'm going to give you some snapshots from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy to help us understand this topic of country living. Is that all right? Now, one of the reasons why individuals will talk about country living and they say, well, I don't know if this is for me and so on, is because they think country living is a message about hiding. A lot of people present country living as if it is a topic where individuals are supposed to try to go somewhere where even Satan couldn't find them. And, and, it, and brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this. It really makes no sense. The reason why, is Satan a human being or is he a spirit? He's a spirit. So spirits can travel just about anywhere, is that right? All right, so if, if Satan is a spirit, and if Satan can possess the minds of human beings, then you can move as far as you want, and you can hide behind as many bushes as you want. As long as Satan remains a spirit, he knows exactly where you are. And all he has to do is take possession of an individual's mind, and he can send them right down our road and say, turn left, turn right, and there they go, hiding behind bush number three. He can find you very easily. So therefore, the first thing we want to do is we want to make sure that we understand some things as it relates to country living. When we talk about it, let's talk about reasons that God has given us on why we should leave the cities. And before we talk about why God tells us to leave the cities, let me first tell you some reasons not to leave the cities. One of the reasons we do not leave the cities, brothers and sisters, is to try to hide. The reason why is because to try to hide from the devil is to try to see a man hiding behind a twig tree when he can be seen on either side. Are you following? 
To try to hide from him is impossible. It's as if you can be seen no matter what. You may think you're hiding. This guy looks pretty convinced like nobody can see him when he is absolutely evident. Are you following? So, you know, the reason for country living is not for the purpose of hiding because there's no way that you can hide from the devil. Are you following? So therefore, we need to get to an understanding of what country living is for as well as what country living is not for. It is not for hiding purposes. That's not why God gave us country living because you cannot hide from the enemy. But let's notice what it is. Number one, one of the first reasons that we are going to look at as far as why does God tell us to leave the cities is go to the book of Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, you'll remember that the Bible tells us something very important. That was a harbinger to let us know about the soon coming of Jesus Christ and the nearness of the final crisis. The Bible says in Matthew, the 24th chapter, and when you get there, please say amen. amen. The Bible tells us there were several harbingers that Jesus laid out in Matthew, the 24th chapter. And one of them was, he says in verse four, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences, and what else? Earthquakes in diverse places. Now, if we were to go ahead and compare Matthew 24 with the book of Luke, we would find that Jesus also gave greater lists of several calamities that would start to take place in the world. Now, one of the reasons why God says that he wanted us to get out of the cities is to avoid his judgments. God is pouring out his judgments upon the earth. So when Jesus was talking about earthquakes, when he was talking about cyclones and tornadoes and all these different things that were going to come upon the earth, Jesus knew that not only were these things going to come on the earth, but they especially were going to hit the cities. Now, notice this. When we think about all these things, we think of earthquakes, we think of tsunamis, we think of conflagrations and tornadoes. We think of all these different things that are now taking place in the world. We just had a tsunami just the other day, did we not? 7.4. These things are happening at rapid pace. And that's the thing that I found that's very interesting about the Bible, is that it shows that things are not just simply happening, but it's the rapidity of which it's happening. You'll remember in verse 8 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, all these are the what? beginning of sorrows. In the Greek, the beginning of sorrows is equivalent to a woman going through what? Birth pains. Now, when a mother is getting ready to deliver that child, do the birth pains get more rapid? Yes, they do. So it is that when Jesus says that all of these different calamities are going to take place, it was not simply that calamities were going to happen, but we should be paying attention to the rapidity of the events. This is where volume nine of the testimonies to the church tells us that the final movements will be rapid ones. And so you'll find that it's not just earthquakes, tsunamis, conflagrations, and tornadoes. It's not the fact that they're simply happening, but it's the rapidity of the event that we should be taking notice of. We have never lived in a generation where there's so many back-to-back -back tornadoes. We've never lived in a generation where there's so many back-to-back Earthquakes. You know, one of the uh, applications that I put on my iPad was actually something that monitors earthquakes that take place throughout the world. Do you know that that thing literally dings almost every 20 to 45 minutes? Consistently letting you know, 5.4 earthquake just happened in Brazil. 2.4 such and such just happened here. So on and so forth. So even when we read the news, the news is not necessarily reliable. The news just says we just only want to report the really big stuff. 
But brothers and sisters, these things are happening at rapid pace, even under the radar screen of what the news media is catching. Now, specifically, the prophet of God says in volume 7 of the Testimonies to the Church, page 83, she says the ungodly what? Cities of our world are to be swept away by the besom of destruction. It says in the calamities that are now befalling immense buildings and large portions of cities, God is showing us what will come upon the whole earth. He has told us, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it, the coming of the Son of Man is near even at the doors. God is allowing his judgments to fall upon the cities because it is in the cities that we find the most gross wickedness. You know this, obviously, being in California, you know what's taking place in Los Angeles. Me being in Georgia, I know what's taking place in Atlanta. Atlanta has recently even beat California in the highest level of homosexual behavior. Atlanta is the number one city right now for homosexual behavior, as it was in the days of... Lot, lot. You'll find, brothers and sisters, that we're seeing all throughout the world, we're seeing that it's the cities in New York City, in Chicago, and then the list goes on. You're looking all throughout the world and you're seeing that these high levels of some of the most base crimes and some of the most base sins are taking place right there in the cities and God is allowing his judgments to fall on them. And this is one of the reasons why God says, I want my people to get out of them. In fact, look at this news article. This is from Newcastle Herald, and this was actually on uh, June 16th, 2011. And I thought their, their article was very interesting as they looked about the calamities that were taking place worldwide. It says, natural disasters are destructive and often deadly forces of nature that can leave mass devastation in their path. The world has had a disturbing start to this year with a variety of natural disasters destroying what? cities around the world. You'll notice that it's the cities that are being swept away. When you think about what took place with the earthquake in Haiti in 2010, which wiped out over 18,000 precious souls, that took place right in the city of Port-au-Prince. We see that over and over and over again, it is in the various city areas that all of these destructions are coming, and not all of them have been sent by Satan. God says, I'm allowing my judgments to fall. And we may say, well, where in the Bible do we find examples of God doing that? You ever heard of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, I'm going to send my judgments to those wicked cities. But what did God tell his people to do first? Get out. So when we talk about as it was in the days of Lot, we would do well not to just simply consider homosexual behavior. We should also consider the fact that when destruction was coming to the cities, God told the people, get out of the cities. And the same way that God gave that instruction to those in the time of the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. God is telling us, get out. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. As powerful as Noah was, and as righteous as Noah was, you know what I'm thankful that the Bible lets me know about Noah? Noah definitely preached a message, did he not? And when Noah preached that message, we find that it had its effect, didn't it? But watch this. What would have happened to Noah if all he did was preach his message but never built an ark? He would have got swept away with the flood. Do you remember when Brother Waller was talking about what the ark represented and it represented a place of refuge? You remember that? Now, brothers and sisters, there is no refuge outside of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So in other words, there is no location on planet Earth that you and I can simply hide from the enemy or try to avoid judgments and so on without Christ. 
The whole method is that Jesus must be with us in the call that we do. And the same way Jesus instructed Noah build an ark is the same way he's telling you and I get out of the cities and go get some property. It's a counsel from God. It's a counsel from him that he's telling us to do it so that we may cooperate with it. And don't ever forget this. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Go there with me. What what does the Bible describe Noah's following through on what God told him to do? When God told Noah, get out and go ahead and build an ark while he was preaching his message. Brothers and sisters, God gave us a message. What's the message? The three angels message. But God also told Noah to build an ark, didn't he? We need to build our arks. Are you following? It is not enough just to have a message. We must also build our arks. Now, Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the 7th verse says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, what did he do? He moved. That's an action word, is it not? The Bible says he moved with fear. And what did he do? He prepared an ark. And what did he do? To the saving of his household, amen, by which he did what? Condemned the world and became heir of what? Righteousness by faith. So when Noah cooperated and followed the instructions of God, the Bible says that was an example of righteousness by faith. Therefore, when an individual follows what God says and they get out of the cities and they build their country properties as God told them to do, that is not self-righteousness. That is an act of the experience of righteousness by faith. Are you following? Righteousness by faith is cooperation between humanity and divinity. God gives all the power. He gives all the resources. He gives everything. But he says you must exercise the will. Now, one of the reasons God says to get out of the cities is because he says my judgments are falling in the cities. And he says get out. What's another reason? Another reason for leaving the cities practical preparation for troublesome times. Joseph, do you remember Joseph? Was there a dream that Pharaoh had? What was that dream that Pharaoh had? He saw what? He saw seven cows, and one, the condition of one cow was what? They were fat and big, right? But then he saw another seven cows, and what was the condition of those cows? They were very skinny. Now, when Joseph well, obviously tapped into God's resource of wisdom and Joseph revealed to, to uh, Pharaoh what was taking place, what was the interpretation of the dream? That there were going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, right? Now, I want you to notice, when they saw the seven years of plenty, did they just walk around and just said, well, we'll just trust the Lord when these years of famine come? What were they doing in those seven years of plenty? They were making practical preparation for those seven years of crisis time periods. Are you following? I want you to see that. Was that experience of Joseph with the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine, was it a type of what God's people are going to go through in the last days? Yes, it was. So therefore, we would find then that another reason God calls us out of the city and calls us into the country is so that we can make practical preparations for the final crisis. Are you following? Practical preparation. What's the practical preparation? Well, let's notice. Farming. Getting out of the city. 
learning how to grow food. This is another reason why God said to get out of the cities and get into the country. He says, I want you to do it because it's going to be practical preparation because the average individual right now only knows how to survive based on Visa, MasterCard, Discover, or Amex. That's the only way we know how to survive. And brothers and sisters, what are you going to do? I'm serious when I ask you this question. I'm a very logical, practical person. What are you going to do when you can't use that anymore? Is a time coming that you can't use that? Did not Revelation 13 tell us very clearly that a time is going to come where we're neither going to be able to buy or sell? So the question is, what do you do? What do you do to continue to sustain yourself? You know what you do? You do what God says. God says again and again. Now, I, I thought it was interesting that the prophet of the Lord would, would have to say things like this again and again. In other words, God knew that his people were stubborn. There would, there's no reason for the quotation to say again and again the Lord has shown me. Look at this. It says again and again the Lord has instructed that our people are to take their families away from the cities into the country. Clear. Clear. Look at what it says. Where they can raise their own provisions for in the future the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. Some of us don't even know how to fast for a day. What in the world are we going to do when we find that things that we once thought were so convenient and available to us are no longer available to us? Brothers and sisters, you should not have to come to a, a, a GYC Southwest to learn this kind of information. These things should be taught in all of our churches. Amen. These things should be taught, brothers and sisters. We should be having seminars, workshops, groups getting together all the time, year round. How do we make this thing practical? How do we put this into action? Because this is God's program. Notice what it says. We should now begin to heed. We should win? Now. It didn't say later. It didn't say when a Sunday law passes. It says we should now begin to heed the instruction given us over and over again. Get out of the cities into rural districts where the houses are not crowded closely together and where you will be free from the interference of enemies. Adventist Home 141. God is letting us know that the same way that Joseph saw the need for practical preparation, the same way that God has always instructed his people for practical preparation. Now remember, Isaiah 33, 16, and I give this to you in advance because I know people are going to use it. People like to use Isaiah 33 and verse 16 to try to say, well, this is what I'm going to do when I can't buy or sell anymore. But notice what the Bible says. Isaiah in 33 and verse 16. Now, in Isaiah 33, 16, the Bible says he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be what? The munition of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Now, when you study out this verse, you will find that this verse is speaking about what Jeremiah 30. In other words, a comparative text to Isaiah 33, 16 is Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 7. When you look at Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 7, it talks about God's people going through what's called a time of Jacob's trouble. During the time of Jacob's trouble, there is what's called the close of probation. God's people are now on the run. This is Revelation 16 live. When the plagues begin to fall, this is Psalms 91, where the plague will fall to the right hand, to the left, but it shall not come nigh thee. Now, during the time of Jacob's trouble, it is true. Our bread and our water shall be sure we will be fed angels food. That's going to be an exciting time. But brothers and sisters, is there not an early time of trouble? 
And in the early time of trouble, God has given us practical instruction. What's the practical instruction? God says, I want you to get out of the cities. He says, I want you to get into the country where you can raise your own provisions. That was God's practical solution. And let me tell you something. In volume five of the Testimonies to the Church, page 81, Ellen White says, the time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. And those who have step by step been yielding to worldly demands and conforming to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than suffer the dangers of imprisonment, persecution, and death. She says, at that time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. So there's going to come a split that a great number of people in the Seventh-day Adventist church right now who are in the church making up part of this 17, 18 million, they're going to leave. They're going to leave. In volume five of the testimony to the church, page 136, she says the majority are going to forsake us. I want you to think about that. 18 million. 18 million Seventh-day Adventists, the majority are going to leave. How many are going to leave? The majority. Great Controversy 608, as the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but who were not sanctified by obedience to the truth, will abandon their position and join ranks with the opposition and become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. The great majority of Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters are going to turn away from Jesus, his truth, and his church. We just read that from the spirit of prophecy. Where is it in the Bible? Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says in Matthew, the seventh chapter, where do we see that the majority is going to be lost? Where do we see that? The majority, not just of the world, but all the worldlings are going to be lost. But where's the majority? How do we see in the Bible that the majority of the religious people are going to be lost? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew, the seventh chapter. Watch this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. So the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is actually going to look at a bunch of religious people and he's going to say to them, I never knew you, even though you did a whole lot of work in my name. The question is, how many of these quote unquote religious people is it that the Bible shows are going to be lost? Verse 13, the Bible says in verse 13 of the same chapter, it says, enter ye in at which gate? It says, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And how many? Many there be which go in thereat. Now, some may look at the word many and say, well, many doesn't say majority. Many can be just five people, four people. What do you mean many? Many is not majority. Well, that's true. But we know that the many, however people, however num whatever number they are, that many is going to go on which road? The broad road, right? Which leads to where? Destruction. Destruction. But then look at verse 14. In verse 14, it gives balance. It says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto what? Life and how many? Few there be that find it. Now, brothers and sisters, question. If I have to compare many with few, which is the majority? Many. And so you'll find that the Bible spells out that it will be a majority that are going to turn their backs on Jesus, the one they profess to love, the one they claim to love. And this is why I'm telling you, this is why I've learned this in ministry. There's so many things I'm learning, but I've learned this. One of the slick things that Satan is trying to do right now in our movement 
is you get people who will say, who will talk about victory over sin. They say, oh, victory over sin, we need to have it. And a lot of people are jumping on board saying, yeah, yeah, we need to have victory over sin. But once you begin to call sin by its right name, it's a whole different ballgame. Because it's one thing to say victory over sin because we have no idea what your mind and my mind understands what sin is. But once we begin to call it by its right name and hit it point by point, and once we begin to identify it for what it is, that's when an individual now realizes if they really have surrendered their hearts to Jesus Christ and are willing to let him take even that darling sin that has just been pointed out. Are you following? Brothers and sisters, I believe with all of my heart, one of the reasons why a great number of seven-day Adventists are going to turn away from God's truth, I believe it's going to be on the point of appetite. I believe it's going to be on a point of lack of preparedness. It's going to be as a result of not following God's counsel. And brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, when somebody tells you, listen, we will freeze your bank account and you will not be able to spend a dime. If you're living in whatever city you're living in and the only way you know how to survive is by using any of those pieces of plastic, there's a good chance that we'll actually say, Lord, you know I believe in you, but I'm just going to go ahead and work with these brethren anyhow. And compromise kicks in. God is giving instruction so we don't have to be put in a position to compromise. And he gives clear counsel so that we may follow his counsels. Let's go on because we got a good bit to cover. Another reason God tells us to get out of the cities is because he wants to teach us lessons on faith. That's another reason God tells us to get out of the cities. Look at this. You ever consider this? You know this text very well, I'm sure. You remember Romans 10, 17? So then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? But then the question was asked, but I say, have they not heard? And what was the answer? Yes, verily there what? Sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Now, the primary application of this is talking about God's ministers as they were able to present his word throughout the world. That's the first application. But brothers and sisters, does this not sound familiar? Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. Where, where else do in the Bible do we find almost the exact same words? Where do we find it? Psalm 19. Notice what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It says day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night it showeth knowledge. Look at what it says next now. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It says their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Psalms 19 verses 1 through 4, almost the exact same statements that we find right here in Romans 10, 17. Nature is God's second book. Nature is God's second Bible. Nature, God gave to us as a means of teaching us lessons on faith as it reveals the character of God. That's why when God speaks these things to us, he says God has surrounded us with nature's beautiful scenery to attract and interest the mind. It is his design that we should associate the glories of nature with his character. It says, if we faithfully study the book of nature, we shall find it a fruitful source for contemplating the infinite love and power of God. Adventist Home 144. Nature is God's second book. Nature, brothers and sisters, reveals the word of God and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we surround ourselves with the scenes of nature, this is why God put Adam and Eve in the garden. 
When he surrounded them with those scenes of nature, they were able to receive God's word in audible form and also in visual form as they would view nature speaking and pointing out the wonderful things of Jesus. In fact, you'll notice that you see this here. This is a classroom, isn't it? And as in a classroom, you learn different things, right? You get education, right? Well, notice what inspiration says here. It says in 13 Manuscript 352, our teachers need to educate far more from nature than they do. Nature is God's great school. It says, and on these grounds, resources are found for acquiring greater knowledge of the wonderful works of God. How many of you know we always have to visit these at least once a year, right? Physicians. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that it says in Ministry of Healing 264, the pure air, the glad sunshine, the flowers and trees, the orchards and vineyards and outdoor exercise amid these surroundings are health giving, life giving. Physicians and nurses should encourage their patients to be much in the open air. Outdoor life is the only remedy that many invalids need. We spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to come up with all sorts of things on how to even cure the common cold and still can't figure that out. And here it is, God, through inspiration. He says outdoor life is the only remedy that many invalids need. That's how powerful nature is. It says it has a wonderful power to heal diseases caused by the excitements and excesses of fashionable life, a life that weakens and destroys the powers of body, mind, and soul. Now, if you remember last night, Pastor Kiela, he talked about how over 90% of diseases start where? In the mind. And brothers and sisters, that's why all sanitariums are supposed to be out of the cities and be in country locations, mountain locations, locations where it's surrounded by the scenes of nature. Because I can guarantee you, when you and I get surrounded by the things in the city, even just the very visuals can become a stress factor on the mind. Is that right? But can you imagine what would happen when somebody gets out of a city location and they get into beautiful mountainous country locations and they're able to literally breathe in pure air? I was in New York a few weeks ago and it broke my heart to see literally on the billboards and not on the billboards, but on those signs when you're driving on the highway, on those signs, it would actually say, warning, low air quality to dangerous level. And when it said that, I said, man, let me go ahead and check out weather.com. I checked out weather.com on my phone, and it literally said, if you have respiratory problems, it would be better to stay indoors. The air quality is that impure. That was in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. And my heart went out to them, and I said, Lord, have mercy. Look at this. In, In Atlanta, the air quality is down to 17%. They said if it gets down to 12%, the people will literally start dropping dead. Air quality. I remember when, I, when, when my wife and I, we were looking for our country location, and one of the things we did, we found this little area, Monticello, Georgia, and one of the things I did was I checked the report on the air quality, 95% pure. I said, honey, I think we found the right place. I mean, it's so sad. Nature. Our children are surrounded by bricks and buildings and people and cars and smog and gas and noise all the time. And we think that we're going to be able to help them truly learn about Christ and his character and his truth. It may happen, but inspiration says it will be 10 times harder. And the last thing I need is anything that makes it harder. Brothers and sisters, take it from somebody who's in the country. I'm telling you, even when you're in the country, there's still going to be battles that will take place in trying to get our children to grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The last thing I need is anything that will make it 10 times harder. Are you following? Well, let's go on. 
When we talk about the planning phase, you remember that Jesus, he said that I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. Jesus believes in preparation. God does not want us to just go around and start saying, all right, let's get out and let's go. Because that's what happens typically in these type of meetings. We go ahead and start meetings. Everybody gets all startled and scared. And next thing you know, they quit their jobs and they go run on out and they go try to buy country property. and They don't know what in the world they're doing. And the next thing you know, they make absolute fools out of themselves and the gospel. And then they go ahead and get mad and start hunting down Brother Lemon saying, it's your fault. You told us that we should get out. I didn't tell you anything. I told you what God said. But brothers and sisters, we need to understand that God also tells us to plan. God believes in planning. So we are not supposed to just jump up and sporadically just go. That's not what God is telling us to do. Look at what God tells us to do. In the planning phase, we are told, it says, let everyone take time to consider carefully. Consider how? Carefully. It says, and not be like the man in the parable who began to build and was not able to finish. You remember in Luke, the 14th chapter, when Jesus was teaching about the qualifications of disciples. And he says in Luke chapter 14, let's turn there. Let's take a look at that. Luke 14. Because there's a lot of people who approach country living in this very same manner, and we ought not do it. Notice what the Bible says in Luke, the 14th chapter. Because this is all that happens, and this is what has happened to many individuals who made rash moves. The Bible says in Luke, the 14th chapter, it says very clearly right here, it says in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower, what does the Bible say? Sitteth not down what? First, and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest, happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus teaches us, brothers and sisters, that we are to count the cost before we make moves. You do not just get up and jump and go. You have to count the cost. You have to reason it out. You have to factor in all of the things that make up human life. Income. That's something you got to think about. That's part of considering carefully. If I move to the country, chances are I may not have the regular job I have anymore. Therefore, I need to know how will I take care of myself. Perhaps you're going to start needing to learn trades. That's why true education, brothers and sisters, it was the greatest gift that God gave to mankind because it was in the mind of all the children of Israel. Do you know none of the children of Israel were supposed to grow up and not know a trade? All of them were supposed to know a trade. You go to the average young person and they say, what trades do you know? Our young people today look at us like, what are you talking? What's a trade? What is that? They don't even know what it is. So therefore, you have to consider carefully and say to yourself, how do we make this practical in our circumstance and situation? Are you following? So you have to look at that, brothers and sisters. Now watch this. It says, not a move should be made, but that movement and all that it portends are carefully considered everything weighed. So when you move to the country, you must weigh out every consideration. You cannot just buy land. You have to make sure that that land is okay to grow things because one of the reasons you're going is to grow food. Is that right? So therefore, you can't just move anywhere because you might move somewhere where the land is poisoned because there's a nuclear power plant just five miles away and their soot has gotten into your soil. Are you following? So there are things that you're going to have to consider about what's around you so that way you can know if this is a conducive place for me and my family to live. So God does not believe in getting up, running rash moves. That is not God's plan. And I pray that nobody would do that in here. Consider carefully 
everything must be weighed. You know more than likely you're going to have a longer commute if you keep your job. You got to weigh that in. Will I be able to afford that? You're going to have to consider that there are places that I may go and have to visit that now I'm going to be pushed further away and way out. Therefore, you're going to have to consider that. You're going to have to weigh out every point. Now, it says, to every man was given his work according to his several ability, then let him not move hesitatingly, but firmly and yet humbly trusting in God. Country Living, page 26. Let's go on. It goes on to tell us, there may be individuals who will make a rush to do something. It says, and enter into some business they know nothing about. It says, this God does not require. It says, think candidly, prayerfully, studying the word with all carefulness and prayerfulness, with mind and heart, awake to hear the voice of God, to understand the will of God is a great thing. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to pause right here. One of the great problems that we have when we consider God's call to country living is a lot of times we listen to what people say. Now, I have respect for, the, for several ministries out there that are teaching about country living, but brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, you never make a move as it relates to your family based on what some other ministry said. You don't do that. You don't make a move for you and your family based on what some other person said. You make a move for you and your family because you heard the voice of God speaking from his word. Notice what it says, think candidly, prayerfully, studying the word with all carefulness and prayerfulness. I know so many people who passed by good country property and gave it up because of what they heard from another ministry that was not God's counsel at all. God does not give specific amounts of acreage to purchase. Do we see it? I don't see any of that in the Bible or the spirit of prophecy. God doesn't say get 10 acres so that you can go ahead and do this, this, and this. That's not what God says. God didn't say just go get two acres. God did not say that. God gives principles. You and I are to take the principles. And then what we do is we see properties that the principles can be applied. It's that simple. But when we start writing out human man-made laws and saying I must get a minimum of 10 acres, I will not look at anything less than 10 acres. Brothers and sisters, that's fanaticism. That's not Bible. Are you following God may have a wonderful eight-acre property waiting for you. I know one brother, he has, he has two acres. And many people who believe in country living will probably say, oh, man, you're crazy, only two acres? That's not enough. But they didn't understand that in his two acres that he owned, he had 100 acres behind him that a farm owner said, you can use as much of it as you want. So in other words, he owned and was responsible for two acres, but he had access to 102 acres. That's the danger when we start telling people specifics. Oh, you got to have 10 acres. Oh, you have to have 15 acres. And you have to have 20 acres. Don't do that. If God didn't say it, let all the earth keep silence before him. I'm serious. Because too often we induce man-made ideas and we put unnecessary pressure upon the people of God because they're now trying to fulfill what a man said rather than following what the word said. That's why the first thing my wife and I did is we tuned out everybody. We said we're going to pick up the Bible. We're going to pick up that book, Country Living, and we're going to go point by point and underline an asterisk everywhere that gives a description on what a country property is. What does it look like? How big should it be? Where should it be? And the list goes on. This will protect. You got some people, oh, you got to be two, three, four hours away. You got to have a whole tank of gas worth of driving to be, that, that's your distance. So if my car uh, can go four hours on one tank of gas, they, do you know there are some people who will counsel you like that? 
They'll actually say you need to have a whole gas tank's worth of distance from the city. Brothers and sisters, show me that in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Are you following? So I'm serious, brothers and sisters. This is my burden for many of you. It's not my burden anymore because I've made my decision. I'm not following anything that anybody says unless the word says it. I got to see it. And what I'm telling you is to stop following these man-made ideas that's putting undue stress and putting many of you in debt. Some of you are putting all this money out for a 20-acre, 30-acre property, and you know you can't afford it. And then you're going to have the nerve to say, well, I'm trusting Jesus and having faith. Brothers and sisters, that's presumption. Faith can always be traced back to promises that God gives in his word. That's faith. When you say, I believe something, but you have nowhere in the Bible that you can support your belief, you have no principle from the Bible or the spirit of prophecy that can support it, brothers and sisters, that's not faith. That is presumption, and God is not obligated to fulfill our presumptuous decisions. Are you following? Stick to the word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, let's go on. We are also told, let there be nothing done in a disorderly manner. There shall be a great loss or sacrifice made upon property because of ardent, impulsive speeches which stir up an enthusiasm which is not after the order of God. It says that a victory that was essential to be gained shall for lack of level-headed moderation and proper contemplation and sound principles and purposes be turned into a defeat. Let there be wise generalship in this manner and all move under the guidance of a wise unseen counselor, which is God. So we must make sure that God is the one that's guiding. God is the one that's giving us the counsel on our steps. Are you following so far? Amen. All right. Notice next now. What really is the high purpose of country living anyhow? What's the high purpose? Is it, is it just some type of self-preservation movement? Let's notice what inspiration says. I want you to think about this. It goes on to tell us, notice this, Jesus came to this earth to accomplish the greatest work ever accomplished among men. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. It says, he came as God's ambassador to show us how to live so as to secure life's best results. It said, what were the conditions chosen by the infinite father for his son? Notice the conditions that was chosen by the father. It was the Galilean hills. Now notice this, it says, a secluded home in the Galilean hills, a household sustained by honest, self-respecting labor, a life of simplicity, daily conflict with difficulty and hardship, self-sacrifice, economy and patient, gladsome service, the hour of study at his mother's side with the open scroll of scripture, the quiet of dawn or twilight in the green valley, the holy ministries of nature, the study of creation and providence, and the soul's communion with God, these were the conditions and opportunities of the early life of Jesus. Country Living, page 14. Now, I'm just basically walking through these simple steps of country living. Normally, if we had regular class time, normally if we had regular class time, we would go from Bible verse, spirit of prophecy. Bible verse, spirit of prophecy. But because of the time crunch, I'm just giving you the straight shot principles. Are you following? So there's more than what we're presenting. But I'm doing this because of time's sake, all right? Now... Notice that all of these things are described of the life of Jesus when he was in the Galilean hills. You know what that means? That means that the message is country living and not country location. Did you get that? The message is country living, not country location. Do you see the lifestyle that God gave to Jesus in the Galilean hills? God did not just put Jesus in the Galilean hills so he could just go ahead and be there. What God did was he put him there, but he gave him a lifestyle. 
honest, self-respecting labor. That means that when you move into the country, it's not a remote control lifestyle. It's not going to be a lifestyle where you're just going to move into the country and live as you and I may have lived in the city. We're going to have to understand what it means now to do honest labor. When I moved into the country, brothers and sisters, I hardly ever used tools. When I moved into the country, that was the first time I had to learn how to be a handyman. I was the kind of guy that always paid people to do something for me. I literally lived by that, by that ridiculous business principle that says, well, why should I do it when I can pay somebody else to do it, and then I can go ahead and keep my hands busy making more money? That's actually not wise. You know why? Because when troublesome times come and you don't know how to act anymore because you don't know what to do with your hands, brothers and sisters, that can become a personal crisis. God expects us to know how to work and to labor with our hands. And when I was privileged to get out there into the country, that was the first time I started getting this thing. Now I understand how those brothers feel when they walk through Home Depot and Lowe's and, and they can't leave. <laughs> now I understand that feeling. Now I can relate. Before I used to look at these brothers and say, look at these brothers wasting all this time in here. You know, because I couldn't relate. But now, I'm, man, I'm spending time looking at tools. Like, man, it's a nice tool. You know, I'm, I'm now, now I'm like, this is nice. Because now I get it. I understand it now. I understand the power and the benefit of being handy. Let's go on. <laughs> now notice this. When we think of that man of God who walked on this earth, and God and him were taking such a wonderful walk together that God eventually told him, listen, you're closer to my home than yours. I might as well just take you home with me. What was his name? Enoch. When you think of Enoch, we think about one who walked with God. And I love the fact that Ellen White says that Enoch... There are Enoch's even today. But you know one of the things that I thought was very interesting? You know, you know what summarized the whole life of Enoch? Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, everything that Enoch did, he did not do it because he felt compelled. He did not do it because he felt like I'm in danger if I don't do it. But the Bible tells us the reason why Enoch did everything that he did that ultimately caused God to say, I have to take you home with me. I want you to notice what the Bible says in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and we're looking at verse 5. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he what? That he pleased God. Enoch's life was totally engrossed in how can I best please God. That was his mindset. So when Enoch, when we look at the life of Enoch even, notice what inspiration says. It says, Enoch did not make his abode with the wicked. Now look at this point here, because I know this question always comes up when we talk about country living. He did not locate in Sodom thinking to save Sodom. Are you following? How many times do we often hear, oh, we have to stay in the city, because if we don't, how will we reach the people? You'll reach them just like Enoch did. Enoch did not have to live in Sodom to save Sodom. Daniel did not have to live in the cities to reach the people in the cities. Jesus did not have to live in the cities to reach the people in the cities. Can anybody in this room witness better than Jesus? And Jesus knew how to reach the people in the city, even though he had a Galilean home to retire to. So therefore, when we talk about country living, we are not saying that we should get out of the cities and leave the people to die. Heaven forbid. What we're saying is that we need to get out of the cities and get into the country so that character can be developed in such a manner that when we go to the cities, we will know how to minister effectively to the people there because we understand what it is to develop a true Adventist home 
And then watch what Enoch did every time he went to the cities. It says he did not locate in Sodom thinking to save Sodom. He placed himself and his family where the atmosphere would be as pure as possible. Now notice this. After proclaiming his message, he what? Always took back with him to his place of retirement some who had received the warning. Some of these became overcomers and died before the flood came. Manuscript 42, 1900. Enoch's policy was, I'm going to go into the cities. I'm going to reach the people. And those who respond to God's truth, I'm going to bring them back to my home and I'm going to let them see what real Christianity is. You see, brothers and sisters, when we get things right in the home, I'm telling you, it affects our witness. Now, I say this story to you not to impress you, but I want to impress this upon you. I had a friend of mine from New York and he came to my house in the country and we were getting ready to have worship on a Friday night. And he had these other people come with him. Well, when he had these other people come with him, they came with him to the house and it was just around time of opening the Sabbath. So we said, well, you're welcome to come, but we're going to open the Sabbath together. They said, no problem. So all of us are sitting together. We're opening up the Sabbath and we're just worshiping the Lord. Well, what happened was we're singing the songs of Zion and giving thanks and everybody's testifying and all these things. And the people that came with my friend were just watching this and they were amazed. Well, they ended up leaving. One year later, I got invited to a church in Brooklyn, New York came to that church, and I, one of the deacons greeted me. And guess who it was? It was that guy who came with my friend from New York. And I was like, hey. I said, praise the Lord. It's good to see you. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to see you. He says, as you can see, I've joined the church now. And I was like, praise God. And he said, but listen. He says, I need to let you know something. I said, what's that? He said, when I came to your home that night, he said, when I saw children, in 2010, because that's the year it was, he says, when I saw children in 2010 praising God, lifting their voices in, in song and thanking the Lord and a family having worship on a Friday night rather than partying and watching a movie, he said, I have to tell you, he says, that ministered to my heart. And he said, and that left an impression upon me that when I left there, he says, Lord, I want to have that life and I want to have a family like that. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. My family and I, we are very imperfect people. I'm serious. But I'm grateful that this brother came and he saw something. We are imperfect people, but we are striving for perfection through the righteousness of Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's amazing how our homes can have such an effect on those who visit that when they leave, they could actually make a decision for Jesus. Enoch understood that, and that's why Enoch didn't sometimes. It says he always took back with him to his place of retirement some who had received the warning. It was Enoch's policy to let the people see what Christianity was really all about. It should be yours and my policy as well. Country living is not about hiding from people. Country living is not about saying, well, I can't let you know my exact address because I don't know if you'll become one of the apostates. (laughs) You know, I'll be honest with you. I wish I could laugh with you, but you know what? one of the reasons why I can't? Because I know one brother that did that exact thing to me. He called me and I literally said, listen, you caught me at a bad time. Can I call you back? And he said, brother, I can't even give you my phone number. But he claims he believes in country living. Brother, can I come visit your home so I can see how you structure your country home? I'm sorry, we don't let just anybody visit our home. I'm talking about serious fanatics out there. Serious fanatics. That's why I'm putting these quotes up, because I know that sometimes God's people can be prone to fanaticism. And that's why the Lord especially had me pull that quote up. 
The high purpose of country living, brothers and sisters, is to actually win souls. Did you know that? Let me show you this. Watch this. Look at this quote. This quote's going to blow your mind. I don't know if you ever read this before. Look at this. Serious times are before us. And there is great need for families to get out of the cities into the country. Now, if I said there's great need for families to get out of the city into the country, that, such and such and such, what does the word that mean? Because. In other words, this is the purpose behind it. Are you following? Look at this. It says... Serious times are before us and there is great need for families to get out of the cities into the country that the truth may be carried into the byways as well as the highways of the earth. It says much depends upon laying our plans according to the word of the Lord and with persevering energy carrying them out. More depends upon consecrated activity and perseverance than upon genius and book learning. Country living, page 17. Now, do you want to know why God had me put that quote up? The reason why God had me put that quote up is because, do you know most of us, when we move to the country, we move for selfish purposes? And I say this with all due respect because I know this will more than likely be on Audioverse, and I want to let all my friends in Tennessee know that I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but I want to say this. Nine times out of ten, when I talk to people who live somewhere on the east side of this country, Almost everybody I know says, man, I'm getting into the country and I'm going to Tennessee. And you want to know one of the reasons why? Because Tennessee is one of those states that is known to have very cheap land. Very cheap land. Tennessee has become almost a mecca for Seventh-day Adventists. In other words, if, if the beast wanted to go ahead and get probably 50% of American Seventh-day Adventists, all they got to do is just lock up Tennessee. Are you following? Now, you want to know what's so perverted about that? Does God want us to consider finances? Of course he does. He said we should weigh everything. But watch this. I know some people, especially those who are from uh, the beautiful West Indies. You know what they say many a times? They say, man, I can't, I'm going back home. I'm going to get country out there. And many a times I taught them, you know what they say is their reason why? Because you can grow fruit all year round. Now, brothers and sisters, is there anything wrong with growing fruit all year round? When it's your motive, that's a problem. When cheap land is your motive, that's a problem. Why does God send us out into the country? So that the truth can get out into those various places out there. It is not your job to tell God, I want to go here because the land is cheap. What our prayer should be is, Father, where do you want me to go? Period. Where do you want me to go? Does God need some people here in California? Yes, he does. Does he need them in the cities? No, he doesn't. So therefore, he wants you to be where? In the countries or in the mountains. But watch this. Watch this. But sometimes we say, oh, Lord, but the, it's so expensive. God says, does he, is heaven in a recession? Are you following, brothers and sisters? My good buddy, Christian Bedal, he said, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. I like that. I said, cha-ching, I'll be taking that one. Because it's right. If it's God's will, then it's what? God's will. All you have to do is make sure I know I am where God sent me. That's what's key. We got to stop all this selfish stuff. Oh, oh, we want land that's cheap and everything. Listen, God understands that. You think God wants to send you somewhere to put you in financial burden and stress? Heaven forbid. But God needs people everywhere. 
So we need to be praying, Father, where do you want me to go? Let the financial issues, let the fruit growing all year round, let all those other personal items, let that be secondary thoughts. Those will come in in time. But the high purpose of country living is so that a work may be done. The truth may get out into the highways and the byways. Let's bring these things to a close. Like I told you, there's a lot to cover. Listen to this. It says, what should we look for? Now, when we're talking about what we should look for, inspiration says it. Inspiration says this. Get out of the cities into what kind of districts? Rural. So wherever you go, it must be rural. It must be rural. Not urban, certainly not. And not suburban. It should be rural property. Now, in addition to that, it says where the houses are not crowded closely together and where you will be free from the interference of enemies. Country Living, page 9. When it talks about free from the interference of enemies, you should be able to have enough room from your property and your neighbor's property that if they want to come outside and they're dressed in a very lewd or illicit manner, it does not have to affect you on your property. There should be enough distance or there should be enough surrounding that if they come outside and they are appearing in such a manner that is of an ungodly sort that you know would be a horrible example set before our children or even husband and wife, then what you want to do is whatever property you get, you want to make sure that if you are next door to people who don't believe as you believe, that their lifestyle does not have to affect and cross over into your home. There should be enough space between you and your neighbor that if they decided to blast out or play loud music in their car, that you should be able to have enough space between you and them that the music will stay more so on their side and not have to cross over on yours where now you're being interfered and you're having worldly music creeping inside of your home. So there should be enough space that if people do not believe as you believe, their unbelieving lifestyle does not have to have an effect on you. There is no measurement that God gives, but he gives a principle. And then what you do is you apply it. When my wife and I, when we found our property, we found a property that was completely surrounded by trees. So therefore, we knew that we can sit on our porch even if we were in our pajamas and it would be nobody else's business. They couldn't tell. There's enough space that even if our neighbor wanted to go ahead and turn the music up and play loud stuff or whatever, it doesn't have to cross over into our property. We can still have the privacy where only the songs of Zion can be heard. Are you following? So therefore, you, you'll know how to do this as you're prayerfully looking for your property. Are you following? Notice what it says next. Let no temporal advantages tempt parents to neglect the training of their children. Now, this is a big one. Because a lot of times parents are scared to death because they're saying, well, what about the temporal advantages? The city life, we say, oh, that provides all sorts of wonderful advantages for our children. Well, I want you to notice this. It says, whenever possible, it is the duty of parents to make homes in the country for their children. The children and youth should be carefully guarded. They should be kept away from the hotbeds of iniquity that are to be found in our cities. Let them be surrounded by the influences of a true Christian home, a home where Christ abides. So therefore, you want to be mindful when you're looking for that property that you want to make sure that it has enough space between city lifestyle and influences and wherever it is that you're going to reside. You shouldn't be in a place where the billboards are right down the street and all the noise and all the din and all these different things. That's going to affect your situation. So therefore, it says to do that. And now watch this. It goes on to say. Fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and a comfortable home are kings and queens. Brothers and sisters, you have no idea how blessed, how much of a blessing it is when we're privileged to have these type of properties and to do it in God's order and follow his instructions. It leads to such wonderful results. 
I close with this simple question. Aren't there some advantages of living in the city? Many people ask that. Aren't there some advantages living in the city? Well, notice what God says. God says very clearly, he says, in Country Living 13, there is not one family. There's not how many families? There's not one family in a hundred who will be improved physically, mentally, or spiritually by residing in the city. Are you hearing that? They will not improve spiritually, mentally, or physically by residing in the city. Faith, hope, love, happiness can far better be gained in retired places where there are fields and hills and trees. Take your children away from the sights and sounds of the city, away from the rattle and din of streetcars and teams, and their minds will become more healthy. It will be found easier to bring home to their hearts the truth of the word of God. And so you'll find that when we move from New York and then moved down to Locust Grove, Georgia. Brothers and sisters, we moved into a little town, a suburb. And when we moved into that suburb, we found that there were several challenges that we faced. One of them was that eventually parties and all these things happened, and it got to a point that there were literally gunshots that started to take place in our neighborhood. It wasn't like that when we moved in, but it changed. You see, you gotta be careful. When we moved in, it was a neighborhood of white, black, Indian, Asian. Beautiful, nice, mixed community. It was like a little heaven on earth. Everybody was getting along. Everybody was visiting each other's homes. It was very nice. But then some dynamics took place where all of a sudden, a lot of the people moved out. They started to let welfare in Section 8 inside of the community. And as a result of that, a lot of people said, hey, I don't want to do that because it's going to affect the value of my home. It's just the way it is. So therefore, they moved out. Well, what happened was a lot of people started moving in, and they started to behave in ways that was ungodly. Well, lo and behold, Parties started to go on, fights started to break out, gunshots took place, and that's when my wife and I said, that's it, we're getting out. We knew God told us, and that was the last straw. We did not want to wait until that bullet could have pierced through my house and hit any of us. We said, that's it, we're getting out. And it was through a series of events that I'd love to share with you of how God got us out. But eventually, brothers and sisters, it was amazing that after obstacle, after obstacle, after obstacle, eventually, I remember the first night that God allowed me to sleep in my home. And we were able to build a little log home. And we were able to put that thing together, and this became home for us in the country on, on eight acres of land. And God was moving and blessing, brothers and sisters, and it was so powerful. And like I told you, it's not country location, it's country living, right? My wife is the kind of woman that loves heat. She loves heat. And I'm the kind of guy I can't stand heat. I'm dark, but I'm a polar bear. It's like, you know, I just, I love cold. Well, here it is that my wife would start turning up the heat, and we had a regular HVAC system, so the heat bills were getting kind of high. So we had to make a decision. Either my wife goes or the heat goes, and we weren't certainly going to get rid of my bride. So therefore, we said, well, we, can't, we got to live with heat. But then God taught us how to do things a little differently. So the Lord allowed us to go ahead and start getting what's called a wood-burning stove. And we got a wood-burning stove, and we were able to start keeping our house hot through wood. And it was amazing because it took the bills down to practically nothing. All it required was a little bit of effort, me and my sons going down to the trail and chopping down trees. I'm a New Yorker, but here it is, I'm chopping down trees. And here it is, I'm cutting down trees and all this other stuff and learning this experience. And it was a blessing. My children and I, we began to commune with each other and it was wonderful, brothers and sisters. We started learning gardening. You heard uh, 
One of, the, one of the folks said it here this weekend where they talked about the method that Ellen White uses to plant fruit. Yes, Pastor Kiela, where Ellen White, the angel came to Ellen White and showed her how to plant fruit trees. So we started doing gardening and we started planting our fruit trees in the order that the angel showed Ellen White. And just after three months of it going in the ground, that's what came out of it. Three months. Three months after going in the ground. Boom. Look at, look at the twigs. The twigs are very thin, but here it is that you can see the fruit just popping out of it. And I have a little thing called a refractometer. What it does is it measures sugar content in food to let you know how much nutrition is in your food. After a year and a half of our trees yielding fruit, I took one of the peaches and dropped just a piece of juice, a little bit of juice on it, and looked at the number. The number came in at a 16. Garden of Eden is 19. Literally, the top of the chart of nutrition is 19. Ours came in at a 16 after a year and a half. I went to the local grocery store, and I got a peach from them, and I put that on the refractometer. It came in at an eight. I mean, it was amazing. So we started understanding what true nutrition was as we would put it inside of our bodies. And you know, my trees became a reminder of God's principles. Because every time I looked at my backyard and I would look at my fruit trees and I would see that they yielded and bore fruit in just a few months, God always reminded me that I can show you how to bear the fruit of my spirit in just a few months. So you'll find that nature started to communicate with you. It became a blessing. Eventually, I asked God, uh, I remember asking the Lord, I said, Lord, please give me a property where it just goes, the driveway goes like that and it bursts open and you can put a house in the middle. But the next thing you know, when we found this property by a friend of ours, all of a sudden, not only did we find a property where there was a driveway and it burst open and you could put a house in the middle, but even further down, there was a trail. And the trail was on the property, and you can go all the way down the trail. And then when you go down the trail and you turn right, then all of a sudden you have this whole open pasture right here. One of the most best places to have worship, to have communion with God. I mean, it's so quiet, you can hear yourself think. And I mean, it became powerful. And it showed me how fast paced my life was because I was the kind of guy that always has to have something to do. And I didn't know how to just be still in the quiet and hear the voice of God. So I found that country living was starting to teach me lessons of faith, brothers and sisters. God says, this is what I want for my people. God says, this is what I want. Country living was not meant to be a burden. It was designed to be a blessing. And so it is that we're asking God to help us that we may understand his principles so that we may know how to allow these things to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. All right. Like I told you, there were several things that we could cover. Um, you know, we were moving a bit rapidly because, you know, we just time is always there. So I pray and I hope that this was designed to educate, inspire, probably clear up some things. But by no means is this the end all be all. There's much more to study from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy to really understand the role of country living. We have a question and answer session tonight. Please go ahead and bring those questions, and then we'll go ahead and take it from there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, if any of you have a desire to say, Lord, I want to cooperate with you. I don't know how you're going to do it for me and my family, but if you're telling us that this is something we need to do, then I want to cooperate with you, and I want you to show me in my situation, in my circumstance, how I can let not my will, but your will be done, and get out of the cities and get into those country locations. If that's sincerely your desire, and you're willing to say, Father, show me how to do it, and I'll do it by your grace, I want you to stand to your feet with me. You're, you're saying, Lord, that's it. If you show me how to do it in my circumstance and situation, I will go ahead and walk forward. Amen? Amen. Praise God. What we're going to do is we're going to bow for a word of prayer. I understand that what we're going to do is we're going to take some time for prayer. 
uh, if there's any need for, you know, like family counseling, doesn't have to be with me, but with any of the speakers, that you can also take time to do that as well or to spend some time out in nature. You can do that, all right? But what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and I want to make you aware of something that's very important. Uh, leaders of SWYC, once we pray out of this and this is over, if there are some people who want to remain behind that I can kind of address some things with them, is that okay? All right, thank you. So I'm going to ask you all to remain behind, as many of you as, as are willing and want to, to remain behind, and uh, we're going to go ahead and address some things. And I want to talk to you about a ministry that I believe can be very helpful based on the stand that you've ta taken based on the location where you are. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you have given us a wonderful, practical blessing and solution to the up and coming events that are going to take place in this world and take the majority of the people in this world and in the church as an overwhelming surprise. Father, we're asking that you would please help our stand to not be simply lip service, but may we honestly take sincerely how you are going to practically help us to know how we can make it out of the city, into the country, and follow your blueprint as you have laid it out for us. For Noah had a message, but he also built an ark. Father, you have given us a message, and this is part of the ark you have called us to build as well. Please help us, Father, to do our duty faithfully, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.